Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Yesterday, Congressman William Lisey Clay Jr. stood on the floor of the House and gave a dire warning. President Trump's incoherent strategy has brought us to the brink of another disastrous war in the Mideast. I have seen this madness before. In 2002, I stood here to oppose the use of force in Iraq because I knew that tragic war was based on a lie. And Congressman Clay is joining us by phone today to talk about everything that's going on in Washington and, yeah, some local stuff, too. So, Congressman Clay, welcome to the show. Hey, Sarah. Thanks for having me on St. Louis on the Air. Now, you had some very strong words yesterday on the House floor. Are you worried that we're on the brink of another catastrophe in the Middle East? Uh, if if we don't rein in uh, this president's uh, recklessness, uh, we will be. Uh, we we will commit uh, uh, men, young men and women to a a war zone in the Middle East, and uh, the 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 results will be a catastrophe. Uh, and I've seen this before, uh, and, and 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 really, apparently, no one. In this president's family has ever served in the military or gone to war, apparently. So, it, I mean, it, it probably doesn't faze him or, or he hasn't realized what the damage will be uh, to Americans uh, in a war zone. And, and it's just, it's so cavalier. And, and, and it's time for us in Congress to check this president. How does the mood there and, and what's going on in the world compare, in your opinion, to how things felt in the lead-up to the U.S. invasion of Iraq under President George W. Bush? It's, uh, some of it is, is similar. Um, uh, two days ago, I attended the classified briefing, and uh, I can tell you that there was nothing resembling a ticking time bomb that would have qualified as an imminent threat. Hmm. And killing General Soleimani was a choice with a political purpose. And, of course, he was a terrorist with lots of blood on his hands, but uh, we could have taken him out at any time during the last 20 years. President Bush didn't do that. President Obama didn't do that. Israel, which has suffered from Iranian aggression and terrorism, uh, for decades didn't do it either. So why did the president do it last week? And, and we need to ask that question. What's your theory? Yeah, if they could have done this at any point in the last couple of decades, why do you think he chose now? I think for, for this president, it was, it was more about politics and ego uh, instead of national security. And I, I don't think uh, we have seen the last of, of, of this kind of behavior either. Do you think it was a, a political reaction to the fact that he's been impeached and now they're hoping to remove him? Oh, for certain. I, I think that, um, uh, that that some of it has to do with how he distracts the American uh, um, public from the issue of impeachment. I'm sure that that's weighing on him heavily, uh, that he is one of the only the third president in our history to go down uh, impeached. Mm -hmm. and, and that's on his record. Uh, and that'll be an asterisk uh, 
when the when the history books re, re, record his tenure. And so you think he's trying to just change the subject? Uh, of course, and 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 let's look at his behavior. Uh, a, a tweet does not equal congressional notification. Uh, the, the president has zero legal authorization to launch an attack against Iran, and he had better come to Congress first, or he will, will be violating his oath of office and the Constitution again. So that's the subject of the resolution that you were speaking in favor of when we played that audio clip earlier in the show. And I know the House has now passed that. But even if the Senate also approves it, which is a big if, would this resolution really change anything when we've got a president who, let's face it, isn't really listening to leaders in either party? Well, I I would think so, especially if the Senate goes on record and and tells him, and and tells this president, look, we don't we we don't give you authority to just willy nilly go around the world, uh, uh, blowing people up and killing and killing people. Um, you know, in two thousand two, I opposed the AUMF to invade Iraq because I knew that Bush and Cheney were lying to us, and history appears to be repeating itself. And I'm going to do all I can to stop this war against Iran. And besides the War Powers Resolution, I'm also co-sponsoring a bill by my friend uh, and fellow Progressive Caucus member, Congressman Ro Connor, uh, which would prohibit any funding for offensive military action in or against Iran. And also there's another bill authored by my CBC colleague, Congresswoman Barbara Lee, that would repeal the authorization for use of military force from 2002. And I strongly oppose it then, and I strongly oppose that 2002 authorization now. So your big problem here is um, the president is someone that you have absolutely no faith in, I I think it's fair to say. Do you think there's any chance he's going to get removed from office and not just impeached? Um, uh, probably not, but I, I think you know. In the uh, as far as, as as impeachment is concerned, the president violated his oath of office. He broke the law. He tried to cover it up, and then he got caught. And, and I fully support Speaker Pelosi's demand that Leader McConnell do his duty to provide a fair trial in the Senate with witnesses and documents. Now, apparently, she's going to send over mm-hmm. uh, those articles of impeachment uh, early next week. But I really don't understand why the Republicans are still trying to help perpetuate this cover-up. If the president did nothing wrong, then let the witnesses testify, and that includes John Bolton. You know, for months... Over here in the House, the Republicans have been screaming that none of the witnesses who testified at the House impeachment hearings had direct knowledge of what the president did and why. Well, Ambassador Bolton was literally in the room when all of this happened. And I think the American people deserve to hear what he has to say. Yeah, I mean, he's certainly no darling of the progressives. I mean, if he comes out and, um, you know, I mean, it would be just very interesting to hear what he has to say, no matter what your perspective on this is. Right. And and, and, and um, 
I'll give you another caveat. And if Mitch McConnell won't won't do his job and call John Bolton uh, in to testify, then maybe Chairman Schiff can help him out on the House side by inviting Ambassador Bolton to testify in a public hearing at, in the House Intelligence Committee. So the House could still be discussing these issues, even even though you already have taken that vote to impeach. Oh, for sure. And we are still uh, exercising our oversight responsibilities as a member of the House Oversight Committee. We will, we, we will continue to investigate this administration and to, to hold them accountable. Now, on the political front, uh, you were an early endorser of Kamala Harris. And now yeah. that she's out of the race, who would you like to see as your party's standard bearer against Trump? You know, I have not um, uh, uh, made a second choice. I, I think at this point we are coming up on Super Tuesday on March the 3rd and then Missouri's primary March the 10th. And so I'm I'm going to allow... Uh, the Democratic voters in that primary to determine uh, who they want out of the first congressional district from Missouri. And the, the, the message in that to every Democratic voter is this. Who, whoever we select uh, to be our standard bearer, to be our party's nominee for president of the United States, we better get behind them because we see uh, what the results can be, and, and we see what the results were from 2016, because we didn't unite behind uh, Hillary Clinton. This is who we get. We get 45, Donald Trump, and, and it's been a disaster for this country. So I get you're going to um, support whoever the party's nominee ends up being, but do you know who you're going to personally vote for when that Missouri primary comes around? It's pretty no, soon now. You don't. don't. You're still undecided. No, I don't. I will listen to everybody, and we and uh, and I'll make a determination in the voting booth. Okay, You're, this is going to come down to the wire for you. <laughs> yeah, I'll do it in the voting booth, and we'll see what the results are in the first CD, and what the results are in the state of Missouri. And then that'll help guide me too. Okay. Well, so speaking of back in your district, you did surprise a lot of people when you came out against the city's exploration of airport privatization. It it felt like a lot of leaders outside the city were kind of holding back, waiting to see how things would play out. What made you decide to speak out and call for a public vote on this issue all the way back in November? Yeah, looking at, uh, you know, I, I decided to speak out and demand a public vote because the whole process smelled bad from the beginning, and I was skeptical about the ultimate public benefits that uh, privatization might have produced. But I knew um, that the process was full of deception, a complete lack of transparency, and loads of conflicts of interest, uh, including consultants who had a huge profit motive contingent on the outcome of the study. And, and and I also knew this about uh, Lambert Airport. You know, as a kid, as a teenager, um, I worked at Lambert. And then as an adult, I worked at Lambert. What were your jobs at, at the airport? I wasn't aware as of this. A, one of my teenage, well, as a teenager, one of my summer jobs was shining shoes. Hmm. My relatives uh, have operated uh, the shoe shine stand for over 50 years, and they're known as the best shoe shines 
in the country. Wow, I did not know that. That's I'm going to think yeah. about that next time I'm getting my shoes shine. Like these are probably your relatives and running you this, know, this this operation. The, yeah, this was in the 1970s, and so in the summer, the all of the baseball teams would come through St. Louis, and I got to meet all of the Cardinals and the other stars and players uh, on the visit from the visiting team. So it was a, a great opportunity to expose me. And, and you've got so this very long history at the airport. Do you think this airport is lagging um, compared to the other airports that I'm sure you're you're constantly in and out of? Well, well, let me say that the citizens of the city of St. Louis own Lambert, and they deserve to help decide the airport's future. And I'm focused on making the airport better. Uh, yes, in some areas they are lagging, uh, it's, it, it, and and they need to. Uh, it's like our front door, just like the arch rails or our front door. The first impressions mean a lot. And so when people get off of those airplanes to come visit St. Louis, uh, it, 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 it needs to be a good impression that they get when they step foot in that airport. And, and, and they could also, you know, do a better job of increasing flight options and bring it better domestic and international connections to better serve the flying public. And in fact, in 2019, uh, I helped bring about $6 million in federal transportation grants to Lambert. And that federal investment goes to improve terminals, garages, runways, and security as well. Uh, and, and, and just a, another point, Sarah, about the privatization effort. You know, the, the, um, during this process, the FAA raised serious questions about whether a private entity could have continued to receive uh, federal, those federal funds. And so I felt, too, that we could not afford to take that chance. And the mayor did the right thing. Uh, when when and when she pulled uh, the plug on a very flawed idea, uh, and I, hopefully this this concept will not come back. Now the Port Authority had issued an RFP to study regional governance of the airport, and they just suspended it. Just kind of a <clears throat> surprise decision, I think that we're just hearing about today. Are you disappointed to see that study on hold or, or possibly even canceled? Oh, not at all. I believe that this airport is owned by the citizens of the people of St. Louis. Uh, and so when you talk about regionalism, then what? Wh- uh, why should St. Louis give up something for nothing? Mm-hmm. That's what I'm, I'm wondering. How do, how do we, how's that regionalism when you're taking something and the city of St. Louis is not getting anything in exchange. Mm-hmm. So you're skeptical of these ideas of, say, the county or other regional entities to try to get their hands on a piece of the airport? Oh, very much so. Uh, I mean, look, if, if, we, if we're going to be um, real about regionalism, then let's look at um, having a regionalized school district that, that, is, that gets uh, equal expenditure per child uh, throughout the region. And and so nobody's talking about that kind of regionalism. They're talking about taking an asset uh, from a city that's owned it for over 70 years or longer. I can see why, you know, you're saying as far as your constituents go, that's not going to help them. No. 
I don't see it, how it helps. <laughs> We've got time for just one more question um, sure. before we're going to have to let you go today. And that is, it came in actually from Twitter um, from a listener of ours, Derek. And he asks, how can you and Representative Cleaver work to get the Missouri State GOP to support St. Louis and Kansas City in spite of the urban and rural divide? Surely most federal investment in Missouri is in the St. Louis and Kansas City metros. Do you feel like that's a role that, that you and Representative Cleaver could um, help get them to the table, at least in terms of some of these issues where uh, the state legislature and the city are at such loggerheads? Well, I, I think at the federal level, we have we have already done that. Uh, when you think about uh, my collaboration with Senator Blunt to, uh, to um, uh, ensure that St. Louis City was awarded the NGA and it not go to Illinois. We came mm-hmm. together in a bipartisan fashion to bring, to save those 3,000 plus jobs and to bring a major federal investment to a part of a community that has not had an investment like that in my lifetime. And the same thing is, has happened uh, with the city of Wellston. Uh, where Senator Blunt and I again collaborated, went to HUD and got the extension, uh, and and got them to extend the time uh, for St. Louis County to respond uh, to uh, to the Wellston Housing Authority and to eventually ensure that uh, residents of Wellston were were treated fairly and were afforded the opportunity to be in safe, affordable housing. So there are things that you're doing on a federal level. Do you feel like there's any role on the state level and in terms of the Republican dominance here in the state and you guys controlling the federal purse strings? Um, I I don't know if there's an an opportunity there. I would be, I would love uh, to explore that opportunity and figure out, hey, how do we collaborate with, say, the governor Mm -hmm. uh, and the the Democratic and Republican members of the state house and state senate? Uh, I, I'm willing to explore those opportunities. Just, um, I, I, I just don't know if if there's any room mm-hmm. to sit down and talk with uh, uh, with those members of the state legislature. Well, Congressman Lacey Clay, thank you so much for joining us today, and, and I hope we can have you back soon. Oh, please invite me back anytime you like. And this has been quite a pleasure, Sarah, and for for the first time. Uh, uh, I'm coming on your show. I want to be invited back as a guest. Well, we are definitely going to do that. So thank you so much. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.